0: This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey entrepreneurs, my name is Felix and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Brian Min from QuirkyWriter.com explains why he focuses on winning over early adopters instead of going after the entire market at first. In this episode, I talked to an entrepreneur that started a completely digital nomad business. In this episode, you'll learn how they invested $100,000 creating their product, how to overcome the challenges of starting a business while traveling, and what kind of prep you need to do before launching your first Kickstarter campaign. Today, I'm joined by Doug Barber from Manal.com. That's M-I-N-A-A-L.com. Manal produces durable professional travel gear that gets you where you want to be, faster, happier, and more productive, and was started in 2013 and is a completely remote business. Welcome, Doug.
1: Hello, Felix. Happy, happy to be here.
0: yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit more about your store and uh, some of the the popular products that you carry.
1: Yeah, so we um I guess a, f- a few years ago we we kind of identified a a gap in the market for um for sort of really good quality, rugged um, travel gear that you could also take into a professional setting. So you know for the people who want to, uh, in the morning, they might have to present, um, you know, to the board, but then they want to take that that same gear, um, you know, and climb a volcano or, or something and they, they want to travel pretty light. So, yeah, that's kind of the stuff we and the market that we focus on.
0: Mm-hmm. So you found this gap in the market. Was this based on personal experience? Like, how did you stumble across this? Um, I get what you're saying this gap in the market where you didn't couldn't find a product that you that that also worked in a professional setting, but also for just everyday travel.
1: Yeah, it was sort of just, just from lots of uh, lots of traveling. Um, so my, my co-founder and I, we you know we went on exchange. We met because we went on exchange to um, university um, in Vancouver, Canada sort of many years ago and so that was yeah we've kind of yeah been both been pretty obsessed uh with travel I mean probably before that but that that really kicked it into gear and um yeah so so from that point kind of dealing with these you know bags of of varying quality and and in the end like just just getting really frustrated with with what was out there and and even though we didn't didn't have experience in the industry just trying to um yeah make something ourselves that that worked.
0: Mm-hmm, very cool. So you say you didn't have experience in the industry, but was this your first entrepreneurial uh, venture or have you tried starting businesses or launching products in the past?
1: Yeah, I think it, I think it was the, the first serious one. So so it was all under kind of uh, Manal like we we did um, try some other other products kind of in that, the general area for for travelers um, and it was more. It was kind of more the case of manufacturers kind of bailing on us just because our, you know, we, even back then we had some pretty ridiculous standards that we needed them to, to meet and, and it was too hard for, for many of them and um, that's when we kind of, by that point we had, um, we'd become pretty passionate about the, you know, making a, a really high quality backpack and, and we got some, some quick traction on that and, and found a really amazing manufacturer and. Yeah, things kind of moved pretty quickly from yeah. there for us.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that it's it was your first serious business. Was this that it was the first one that seriously took off, or one that you seriously devoted the, or committed to uh, in a and I guess in a and I guess a more uh, intense way? Like, what what made it more of a serious business
1: for you? The gap between kind of, I think, anything that that either of us had done done before this that was entrepreneurial was yeah, pretty pretty huge. So I would say it's it basically is the is the first. Um, I mean, we kind of, was that we, we kind of stuck with the same uh, theme, I guess, you know, you could almost say we, we pivoted over the years um, and it was, I guess we had always intended um, making backpacks, but that, that wasn't, that was kind of, we saw that as maybe a, a more advanced stage. Um So when the other, the kind of apparel stuff didn't, didn't work out for us. Um, yeah, that's what we launched into. So it ended up being the, the kind of first part of it for us. And, and now, yeah, we have kind of, yeah, more than enough to do on the, on the backpack side with, with, you know, new products over the next while that, um, yeah, it'll probably be a little while before we move into anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. I think this is a, a stage that a lot of entrepreneurs go through, where they are, are they want to launch a business, and they go through different phases with different products, different ideas, um, and then you know they find one that either has some little more traction, or something about it just helps them, or something about a particular product or a particular idea they just gravitate towards. What was it about yeah. your situation? Like what what made this particular the backpack specifically? Like what made that one become successful? What made that one the one that you guys That decided to essentially going to go all in on.
1: Yeah, I think it was. um, I think it was just people's general reaction. Um, So I mean, so I guess you know we had a pretty strong hunch that that this had the potential to be be pretty big early on. Like, yeah, from having our our first sort of prototype made and just just having that kind of change the travel experience for us. Um, and then the comments we were getting from from people. and this was you know this was an early prototype. this was the the very first one. So it's you know we've we've come a long way since then, but but even even with that that early one, people were, yeah, just just super excited and and were kind of willing to throw money at us at, at that stage. So I guess we um yeah, had had some pretty strong hints there that we may have been onto a good thing.
0: Yeah, I've heard this before from other entrepreneurs where they start a business. You guys obviously started business intentionally, but a lot of entrepreneurs start business unintentionally where they mm. create something for themselves and all of a sudden everyone's asking them, where can I buy that? You know, can I buy it off of you? Are you selling these, whatever product that is? So was it that kind of situation where people are coming up to you in person asking you about your travel gear or did you guys have some yeah. kind of online way to collect this feedback?
1: No, no, it was all it was all very in person um at that point. I think we had a, um, yeah, I'm not sure at what what point in it all we we kind of set up a landing page, but but you know that even that was was pretty basic and didn't didn't have a lot of details about the bag. so it was very much the yeah, the in person reaction to people because of course we were yeah, we were travelling all all around the place, and yeah, so there were a lot of uh, a lot of interactions day to day with other people. Um, and yeah, just the, the reaction was, was really positive.
0: Yeah, that, that's great that you're able to, uh, I guess, look at it objectively because you had started other, other- launch other products in the past and I think whenever we do launch something on, on, on our on our own, there are two potential paths that can go down. One way is being hypercritical and never think it's good enough or never think never like it, or the other path, which is you look at it from like rose tinted glasses where all feed you, you only listen to the good feedback, you don't listen to the bad feedback, and you kind of tend to over exaggerate the potential success of a particular product. Did you were you able to how were you able to I guess look at look at your business or look at your products that you're launching objectively to know that this was the one versus you know the apparel or whatever else you guys were trying to sell previously. Like, how come you got? How come you didn't think? Oh, maybe someone might be interested in this, even though you weren't getting the same type of feedback.
1: Yeah, we hadn't. So, so any of the the stuff that we'd done before was was reasonably um, small scale. So it was like the stuff we were doing was was just sent to to beta customers, and yeah, actually, people were people were very happy with that. It was, it was more, um, I guess if it hadn't been for the, um, yeah, for, for kind of manufacturers not being able to produce what, uh, you know, to the, the standard we expected, um, we might've continued with that. Mm. Um, but I guess, yeah, in terms of the feedback stuff, we've, um, yeah, we've kind of always surrounded ourselves with, with people who, you know, will will tell us straight up what they what they think of it, and I think that's that's pretty important. So yeah, any of our our early feedback, yeah, we we got some, you know, we got some strong and and critical feedback, and I think you kind of um, yeah, it's a good skill to learn to to be able to just just take that all on board without without trying to explain it away, you know, just because mm-hmm. it's very easy to it's very easy to take that stuff on board personally and and you know, and be hurt, um, but. Yeah, I think if if you just you know no matter what the feedback, if you just kind of if you hear it out, um, and you know write write everything down, ask ask questions on, only to clarify, and then then take that all, all away and kind of kind of process it. Um, yeah, that that's kind of the the stuff that worked well for us.
0: Mm, yeah, I like that. You say only ask questions to clarify rather than trying to explain it or try to convince the person giving you the feedback to believe what you want them to believe. I exactly, think that that's, yeah. Yeah, important skill. So you you mentioned this a couple of times already now about the, the work of these manufacturers. You guys have particular standards, sounds like very high standards or at least maybe the product uh, had some technology on it that you wanted to make sure that these manufacturers were able to produce. So tell us about your experience there. Like, what what maybe we'll start with the very first experience of you trying to launch uh, previous products, like what were they and like what manufacturer issues were you running into?
1: Um, I guess. Yeah. So if, yeah, if we're talking about on the, on the apparel side, it was, um, it was just that we, it's kind of almost everything we do um, seems to be, be different to, to the way, you know, other businesses do it. So that's, 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 you know, kind of always been a struggle, and, and right back then it was the same. That yeah, it took a really long time to to explain to the manufacturers like the way we wanted to do it. It, it was you know, it would it required kind of changing their their process? And um, you know, I, I I can I can understand why they would would bail out um, after a while because we are yeah we're we're quite demanding. Um, <laughs> And that's yeah, that that certainly hasn't hasn't changed. But we've yeah, on the on the backpack side, like it yeah, it, it sort of took us. I would say so. While the apparel stuff was going on, we were um, searching for backpack manufacturers around the world because you know we we had been sketching our plans at that point, and and it was something we we thought we would eventually do. Um, so yeah, it took us kind of two years to find to find the right manufacturer that you know we've got a lot of. Um, boxes that we need to tick around ethics and environmental concerns and you know and quality and we want to be yeah we want to be working with people that we enjoy working with as well so yeah it took a a really long time and and a and a worldwide search to to find the right place and yeah we've we've once we selected that um that factory we've yeah we've continued with them to to the present day,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting to look back on your business and see the kind of stepping stones that you took to get to where you guys are today. Was that, I guess, uh, intentional? Was that on purpose to start with uh, apparel and then move the backpacks? Because I'm hearing it sounds like you're saying that you always had the goal of eventually producing backpacks. Like, why take these kind of steps along the way rather than just going straight for the the backpacks right off the bat?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we always had the idea that that eventually. Um, yeah, we there would be a kind of ecosystem of products um, mm. under the brand, but it was um, I guess you know initially on kind of on traveling traveling around before you know as as a tourist um, I think we'd would both had some exposure to to the apparel side of things so that we saw that as a um, yeah as a less complex product to to start with which mm. I, I think is still still the case so it's um, yeah while we were learning. Because, I mean, yeah, there's obviously a lot to, to learn in manufacturing and kind of textiles, which is important for, for both of those products. Um, and, yeah, high-end backpacks is a pretty, pretty complex area. Um, and I guess, yeah, we didn't, didn't feel like we could launch into that straight away.
0: Mm, yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense uh, So if you have this ultimate goal Of uh, multiple products And I think you said like an ecosystem of products That you wanted to create underneath this brand Did you at any point Did you feel overwhelmed by this kind of mission You know, because I think a lot of times When entrepreneurs are at the starting point They are looking at the finish line And say they want, you know, 10 different products Underneath this particular brand And it just becomes like an overwhelming beast For you to achieve that goal How were you able to have this big vision of having an ecosystem of different products which sounds like you guys are still building out but make sure that you're not being too overwhelmed and you're actually able to you know do the job i guess uh on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah i guess i mean yeah it's it's very it's very easy to to feel overwhelmed and i think you know if you are, uh, yeah if you you're trying something that is that is difficult i think it's kind of inevitable but you just have to um yeah, you just kind of have to find some sort of mental fortitude within yourself and kind of stick at it. And that—that's, yeah, that—that's kind of how we we approached it. Um, yeah, you know, it would be yeah very easy to give up at at multiple points. You've just got to um, yeah really want it, which which we did, and and just keep keep sticking at it Mm
0: -hmm. makes sense so you mentioned earlier too that uh, everything one of the reasons that you had difficulties with manufacturing efforts was because everything you guys wanted to do was different than other businesses Um, and I think this is an important question not just for manufacturing but in general when it comes to marketing when it comes to branding Uh, if everything you're doing you notice that you're running into these roadblocks or it was an uphill battle because it was different than the way others were doing it did you ever question and ask yourself like why not just do it the way other businesses are doing it and how did you answer that question
1: um i guess we just yeah we just looked at um what so so the yeah the the other businesses that were doing it in this other way just just looked at what what they'd become and and asked ourselves if that is what we if that is what we wanted to become and the answer was always no um so yeah so for us there was always um while, yeah while it can be frustrating at times like we could always reassure ourselves as like yeah we, well we are different and and this is worth um, worth persevering with like even if it takes a lot more explanation and, and time like overall that will be beneficial for us because we will be kind of a we will be a truly unique brand.
0: I think this is an important important topic because a lot especially when it comes to entrepreneurs that want to create let's say like a lifestyle business where they want a particular lifestyle for themselves, you know maybe that's what you guys are going for, but it it, it, it maybe sounds more like you guys had a particular vision for the brand for the products itself, but let's say you wanted to carve out your own essentially your own path, you want to get to a certain point that others um, are not at or are thinking the other businesses are thinking thinking differently about a particular goal that you have when you are going down this path and you know these uphill battles there's a lot of uh, bumps along the way what do you do to stay resilient to make sure that it is you know like you're saying it was worth it uh, the goal but I'm sure you had days where it maybe didn't feel that way where it felt like today is going to be really today feels like a really bad day because we are trying to do things our own way like what did you do on a day-to-day basis or you know how did you consistently make sure that you weren't uh uh, you know losing hope essentially in the way that you guys are approaching the business
1: yeah well i guess um yeah if, if you just kind of let uh, if you kind of let yourself um step outside of like whatever particular si- situation you are and kind of yeah go one step out and be you know kind of think well look where you know where am i today like i'm in some i'm in some random part of the world um you know so i may be working on some difficult problem but but then i'm gonna you know, I'm gonna walk down to some, you know, really crazy little little restaurant by the sea and yeah, and, and compare that against what what you know, what you could have been doing in a in a former life, like mm. you know, stuck in a cubicle somewhere. Mm, um so- and I like I yeah, I have a um yeah, I kind of have first hand experience of that, that cubicle life. So I have something to, to look back on and think. No, like no matter how bad this day is like overall it's just so much better than um yeah than that that style of life for, for me anyway you know it's like it's all about what um yeah what speaks to you personally and and that will be a life that some people will want but yeah for me it's uh it's not, and I, I much prefer this, even with the the ups and downs.
0: Mm, yeah, that sounds like you practice a lot of gratitude, making sure that you are grateful yeah. for for what you have already. Um, you know, I think that's a big part of it as an entrepreneur is that we. We're very ambitious, you know. We're uh, intense as well, you know, wanting to get things done. But it could also be a gift and a curse because you are never, you could go down a path where you're never satisfied, no matter where you are, no matter what you achieve. I think it's important for what you're saying is that to know what speaks to you and don't waver from that because you always end up in a place uh, that you're not happy unless you kind of stick to 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 what you um, you know, I guess uh, that like you're saying speaks to you the the most. Uh, so was there a moment Moment in your you know your your I guess quote-unquote past life where you realized that this is not what I want to do or was it something that built up over time like what was the thought process uh, that you went through to determine uh you know what you're really about
1: yeah well I think I think probably I I knew that uh, before I before I even started kind of in the in the in the corporate world um but I I guess maybe um I mean, I can't remember my exact thinking, but I guess I, part of me maybe saw into the future and thought, well, maybe maybe it's useful for me to experience what, you know, what a lot of people do in the world, and at least go and do this for a little while and and see what it's like. And I'm, yeah, I'm kind of glad that I, glad that I did. So I, yeah, so I have that that benchmark to to look back on now, Um, and that certainly helps with the with the gratitude element that you're that you're talking about. Yeah, I guess I'd, I had always, yeah, from a, yeah, relatively early age, I, I kind of thought that I, yeah, entrepreneurship would be the, um, would be the way for me, but I still wanted to have, I still did want to have the kind of traditional, um, university experience at least.
0: Mm, Makes sense. Uh, so, So speaking of staying kind of true to who you are, um, I think once you become successful, and I want to get to this uh, in a bit about your Kickstarter campaigns, you had two very successful Kickstarter campaigns. And, you know, obviously, once that happens, you get a lot of publicity, a lot of people hear about you, and the business starts becoming more successful the brand becomes bigger and then all of a sudden you know there's all these opportunities that start popping up right people start reaching out to you wanting to work with you they want to sell you things like Mm -hmm. how do you when that happens you know it's easy to start to say uh, I'm going to stick to my roots and stick to what I believe in when no one is trying to essentially taunt you or uh, bring you these opportunities it's easy for you to stick to that but once you get the exposure all of a sudden everybody wants to work with you wants to give you an opinion or wants to you know tell you about how you you should run your business. Like, how do you combat that? Like, how do you make sure that you aren't being dragged down someone else's kind of uh, goals and staying on track with yours when there are so many opportunities that just start popping up?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I just think um, we're very uh, yeah, we're very strongly minded and and kind of have a clear idea. Um, about what uh what is us and what what isn't so yeah we I guess we don't we don't have too much trouble saying no and we yeah we do have to say no a a lot but yeah it's just yeah if you if you um are really clear on your vision and what you're trying to achieve and and why why you're doing this all in the in the first place if you keep coming back to that then usually you know you've got a pretty clear answer on whether you're going to say yes or no to something. Mm
0: -hmm. Was there like a formal sit down That you and your your team Or you and your partner had to do To determine the vision Like how did it how do you guys? Uh, how did you come up with it? I guess because I think this is a, the foundation that needs to be established if you want to start a business, and that you and start a business and start a business that's going to be uh, sustainable and won't burn you out, won't drag you down a wrong path. Is that you need to have a vision to begin with, the vision that you can stick to. But how do you become? How do you even come up with uh, a vision to actually point to and say this is what we believe in?
1: Yeah, I guess. Um, well, sometimes it can come from. Uh, you can figure it out based on what you don't want and I'm sure there mm. was I'm sure there was an element of that for us but it was really for us it was you know as guys who were passionate about travel and and really wanting to do that as as much as possible like that's um, that was kind of it so, something we needed to be doing something that would give us the the freedom and flexibility to to keep traveling and and where we wouldn't be be tied to any one location and kind of built it up from there and then as you know, as co-founders, you know we can we sit down every well. We have like quarterly quarterly catch ups, and then and then annually we have a kind of more like very sort of long scale look and and check that that what we're still doing, um, yeah, kind of matches back to what our original goal was. Just just check that that we're both still on the same page with that, and yeah, and that that has always been the case. Each each year we've we've caught up.
0: Mm, makes sense, yeah. And if you if you um, figure, I like that approach of figuring out what you don't want, and then trying to design a life or design a business uh, to. Uh, not necessarily avoid it, but to not put yourself in that situation where you have to let work a corporate job or whatever it is that you don't want. Um, and I think a lot of listeners out there that are trying to go down this path, they're going to run into obstacles, right? they're going to run into situations where mm. there isn't. It's very hard for them to get away from what they don't want. Is there was there ever a point where you came across this and you almost decided to go back to the lifestyle you had before? Like, what was it? Like, what what were some of the times where it wasn't as easy to stay on the path uh, of doing what you actually do want to do
1: yeah i think um I, mean, I think i can probably honestly say that there there was no point where i where i decided that that i should go back to to doing what i was doing and mm. um i yeah i don't think i've ever asked uh, jimmy that directly but i i suspect that his answer would would be the same mm-hmm.
0: makes sense okay cool so let's talk about the um the backpack then because like you're saying earlier there were some manufacturing issues with uh the first run of products the apparel uh, line what what changed about the backpack like what was the situation the backpack and the manufacturers that made it uh at least um a lot more feasible than with the apparel
1: uh i think that um yeah we were just we were talking to um yeah, to a really really high end manufacturer, um that that just that just understood what yeah, understood what we were what we were trying to achieve um very early on and and yeah, everything just kinda clicked there. Whereas yeah, with the um with the earlier apparel manufacturers it was all yeah, it was all a, a real, real struggle. Um, essentially. That yeah, that was kind of the the major difference just yeah having having someone on board that that you feel yeah understands what you're trying to do i think is, is pretty important do you
0: remember how many manufacturers you had to approach before you found the right one 50, 60, 70 sixty, wow. seventy—I guess. So, what was the, was there like a, a good process that you followed to to reach out to them? You know, because if you have to talk to fifty or sixty manufacturers before you can even begin going down a path of producing this product, uh, is there a way to make it easier? You know, let's say you were to launch to launch a business again and you had to find man, a manufacturer that, that you had a, that, and you had high standards. Is there a good, a better approach that you would take this time around to make sure that you were able to identify the right manufacturer? Without spending too much time in that stage,
1: I think if I think if I was in yeah if I was in the same situa- situation I was back then I don't yeah I don't think there were any any real good shortcuts to that. It was just yeah being on the ground, traveling around, like visiting these places, asking lots of questions. Um, yeah, it's all a way to, to learn more about the industry. The more you visit, you know, the, the questions that you ask get better each time. And I guess if if me in my position was doing it now, then yeah i have I have you know a huge amount of contacts in, in various manufacturing industries, so so things would be faster there. but yeah, if you if you don't know anything, I think yeah you, you still need to um, yeah, there's still a lot to be gained from from doing it the the slow and and hard way. Mm,
0: makes sense. Uh, so you were visiting all of these manufacturers in person? Oh wow! Uh, so I think a question that's going to come up in a lot of listeners' heads is like, how did you fund all of this? This entire trip, like, how did you, you know, quit your your job? It sounds like, and travel, and just try to start a business. Like, how were you able to fund all of this?
1: Yeah. So, um, so it came from. So I mean, I out of university, I worked um, I worked eighteen months in in my first corporate job before I before I quit to to go traveling, and that that was the kind of beginnings of the of the business. So. Um, yeah. So, what what actually happened there was during most of those eighteen months, I, I'd kind of decided that before I went in, like I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna get caught in the trap of, um, you know, paying high rent and and buying lots of things and and buying expensive food, um, and so it was a case of just continuing to live like a student while while having a job. Um, so so Jimmy, my co-founder and I actually before we were in business together, we were, um, yeah, so we, we shared this kind of lower level of a, of a place and, you know, for, for many, many months together, um, kind of, kind of roughing it down there on a, like it was a, you know, it was a nice-ish part of town, but, but kind of splitting a, basically a, a basement together. We, we didn't pay much in rent and, and we ate a very, yeah, very simple, simple meals. But, um, yeah, so I guess there's, yeah, the, the kind of sacrifices to be made, but we were, we were happy to do that because we, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a travel slash future business fund, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you, you know, you're, you're eating your, your crap food, but, but it's, you know, you know that the, the money you're spending can, can go towards something, you know, really exciting in the future. I think it's, it's something, um, yeah, that you can, can manage.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that it's very, um, I guess uh, you thought very forward uh, very early on, which helped you set up yourself to not have the debt or not have the... the essentially uh, golden handcuffs of being stuck in a a salary job and do all this you know I think a lot of listeners out there might be in that situation Um, so I wonder if someone wanted to do the same thing maybe not travel but essentially quit their job and focus full-time on on building a business I think that's maybe a slightly better middle ground did you do you remember uh, any points where you felt like you were going to run out of uh, cash uh, during this entire thing like what was it ever did it ever get kind of scary that this might not all work out
1: yeah I mean there was a yeah there was a period in there where uh, because it was sort of a case of um Jimmy and I like when one was when one was traveling around like visiting factories the other um would be back in New Zealand um working so we'd kind of you know swap over at times. so we were that was kind of the thing that we needed to do to to refill the the fund a little bit Mm. and that kind of worked but yeah once once we felt like we were we were really getting traction um on the on the product side um we knew that we could move things a lot faster if we you know if we both went went full-time and and kind of that's what we did and just just went for it and that yeah i mean that that makes a, a massive difference when you can you can focus all your all your energy on something
0: Mm-hmm. so you you we were talking a little bit um, before the call before we hit record and you mentioned to me that I asked you like where are you guys based out of and you said nowhere particular you're traveling all the time I want to talk about the kind of pros and cons of this like what is it like to start a business without a physical home base that you come back to but you're essentially just traveling all, all around the world while running the business
1: yeah I mean I, it, I guess it, it definitely has its challenges but I think yeah, it may be weird to say, but I, I almost feel more at home kind of traveling when I, when I don't have a home. And I know that's, um, that's definitely not going to be the, the case for everyone. And it's probably even a pretty pretty small minority. But um, yeah, I mean, this entrepreneurship kind of, you know, it does allow you to a certain extent to, to design the life that, that works for you. And that's kind of, um, yeah, that, that's what I think we've, we've achieved. Um and it's I guess it's um, the business has been set up in a way that that um, enables that, but it's also it would work, I guess just fine if we um, if one or both of us decided to to stay in one place for for a while. but it's it's just that we're yeah, we're we're so passionate about travel that it uh, just seems to happen that way anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the challenges that that you encountered that you did not expect when you first started off uh or started the, the business you know while traveling
1: uh well I guess you know as the team um you know as the team grows you kind of get to the point where and, and everyone else is remote essentially as well um you know you do have um do have meetings kind of at all all hours of the the day and and sometimes night and that's <coughs> Yeah, I guess I, I, that can cause um, I can cause problems, I guess sometimes, but but not really. I think that's a pretty I think that's a pretty small um, trade off for the kind of uh, the life that that comes out of that. And I guess particularly for us as a as a travel gear company, um, I guess yeah, no, no one can kind of accuse us of, of not uh, not being travellers. You know, we are we are both doing mm-hmm. it pretty much pretty much full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean sometimes you do need to, um, you know, productivity can can take a hit sometimes depending on the on the style of travel. But I think we're, yeah, we're both both been doing it for long enough now that we can can still turn out decent work on the road. But we, yeah, we still give ourselves you know some solid blocks of time in one place as well for for things that are more difficult to do when you're when you're physically moving.
0: Yeah, one thing I've heard about the from other digital nomads is that. Because they're traveling so frequently, and then they're going to cities that are or places in the world that are just, you know, uh, essentially teasing them to come out of their uh-huh. work mode and travel—or not travel, but explore. And one of the biggest difficulties I've heard is that the productivity point that you're bringing up, which is as hard to settle into work mode when you could be out and exploring the new environment that you're in. How do you, I guess, um, combat that? That and actually be able to get down and get work done when you. You are traveling so frequently
1: um i think i think I, for, for me i've i've just gotten to a point where um you know I, I kind of get enough stimulation like going between between the 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 spots that i'm going to be working from and i don't um i don't i don't feel the need that when i arrive in a new place i need to go and go and see all the kind of tourist hotspots or, or anything like that and i i'm just happy to um let like everyday life in that place, you know, going out for meals, or if you need to, you know, pick up something random, like go and pick up some electrical tape or, or something. It's those little, those little tasks that are kind of more, uh, I guess, you feel like more of a, a local, just doing sort of regular things, you know, going to the supermarket to get food and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it's it's once you, once you kind of treat yourself as as not a tourist and and mm-hmm. someone who's at least gonna gonna be a a resident there for whatever period of time you're there, even if it's just a day. um, Yeah. It kind of takes away that, that sort of, you know, the, the FOMO element of like, Oh, there's, I'm in the city for two days. And, and, you know, if I looked at the travel guide, there'd be all these things that I have to do. Like, once you get past that it's really not too much of a problem I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah I guess uh, give yourself the time so you're not rushed uh, in one particular location so that you don't feel like you have to head out you can kind of settle into it, it makes sense. So uh, if for anyone out there that, that is thinking about uh, taking their business on the road um, or just setting up a business for the first time to be completely remote and following your footsteps what are some things to keep in mind or start preparing today before making that leap into to running or starting a completely remote business.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of, I mean, just for for traveling, if you're going to be um, sort of permanently on the road, I guess there's a lot of, there are a lot of things to, um, like, you know, in terms of like getting your own affairs in order, like there's a lot of stuff that you need to kind of figure out at home and try and, you know, all, all the little things like, um, you know, getting your, your bank to stop, stop sending physical statements to you. And, um, maybe if you're going to be away for a year, getting a, um, you know, an international driver's license at home, because that's something you can't get once you're abroad. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of, um, little things that, um, that you can get an order before you, um, before you go. But at the, I guess at the, at the wider, um, business level, it's, um, you just have to be, it, especially if we're talking about a remote team, you just have to be really good at, um, yeah, turning things into into systems over time, and you need to improve your communication skills. I think because um, as a remote team, something that's really important is is essentially over communicating. You know, because if you had a if you had a team in one physical place, you know, it's not so important. You can kind of you're always getting a sense of how how people are doing, whether they're struggling or, or whatever, but. Um, yeah, if, if it's remote, you you often can't see their face and you don't know you don't know what their, their general demeanor is. So um, yeah, making sure you're you're really really clear and, and over communicating any of the the written communication is pretty important. And that yeah doesn't doesn't come naturally um, to I'd say most people. So it's pr- something to to kind of work on.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. So let's talk about the the Kickstarter campaigns, because I think this is where where your business really took off. So you launched two campaigns. Uh, We'll talk about the first one first, Uh, the first campaign, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think was launched in uh, 2013, had a goal of- $30,000, $30,000 ended up raising 10 times that at $341,000 from mm-hmm. over 1600 backers. So, before you before we get to the actual campaign itself, like what stage was the business at prior to launching the Kickstarter campaign? Did you have prototypes ready? Like what did you have ready or what did you have uh, already developed uh, before launching the campaign?
1: Yeah, I mean we we had uh, at the point we launched, we'd actually done a pretty pretty serious amount of uh, preparation. So we had gone through, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen like different iterations of the of the bag, um, and each one we'd, you know, we'd take a new sample, take it out to the the people um, kind of nearby, and let them just tell us everything they thought of it. Kind of that process I was describing before before about just letting that that feedback come to you and write everything down. Um, and we'd also we'd planned for um yeah for every sort of scenario, so right from like we're really struggling to to get close to the goal, what are we going to do? and you know we're we're completely overwhelmed. so it was a case of making sure we had a we had a factory who could could handle that demand, making sure we'd yeah timelined everything out and and had a little bit of slack because there's always no matter how prepared you are, if you're talking about sort of you know physical manufacturing there's going to be um there's going to be things that you just you couldn't possibly have known that's going to push push things out a little bit so yeah just being very prepared and i think i've seen it um yeah probably a lot of times with some of these products that that end up on kickstarter where it becomes apparent that um that the creators hadn't actually checked you know they they hadn't even found their factory at that point so they didn't know you know whether it could be produced um, at scale or, or how much that was going to cost, and, and you know that can definitely get you into problems later on. So, so for us, it was kind of a mantra of like, yeah, prepare and, and over prepare before we um, before we kind of press launch on that on that campaign.
0: Yeah, you know, 13 to 14 iterations prior to launching is definitely on the high end of uh, preparedness uh, for a Kickstarter yeah. campaign. Because I, I hear all the time from people that are launching on Kickstarter where they're treating it as the starting point. Like is their first iteration or maybe first couple. They're putting it out there and hoping to kind of learn along the way and improve and change the product along the way. Before it ends, and they have to start manufacturing it, or start start uh, sending out to manufacturers. Uh, so, how did you know that you you landed on the right iteration before it launching on Kickstarter? Especially since you went through you know thirteen or fourteen already. How did you say, okay, the thirteenth, this is the thirteenth one or fourteenth one? This one is um, I want to say good, I don't want to say good enough, but it's ready to go on Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, yeah, just just kind of uh, a sense of this is pretty this is pretty damn good at this point you know from a uh, just trying to be as objective as possible and and kind of when the when the negative feedback really starts starts drying up from from these people who have been you know pretty loudly telling you what they think is wrong with it when that when that starts to disappear um yeah and and we'd kind of we'd gone through a stage at that point of of sending bags out to a small beta crew so so they could actually use it over a, over a period of time and, and see if there was anything else wrong so we'd fixed any of the, the little issues from that. So yeah by that point we were yeah we were pretty confident that that it was you know it was a ready product but but even then we wanted to leave ourselves open to um, and, and provide some some time in the timeline to um, to slightly change the product based on feedback that we received um, from the you know during the campaign. And mm-hmm. so that was, yeah, that was something that was valuable as well. So we've done that in, in both campaigns and, and changed small things.
0: Yeah, I think ideally any any entrepreneur out there is launching a business. They would, if they had all the time in the world, all the funds in the world, they would love to kind of continue testing and creating the perfect product before putting it out Um, but I want to talk about your process because I don't think that much time had elapsed between the very first prototype and launching on Kickstarter so tell us about the cycle of going from a new prototype iteration to a beta tester to getting their feedback now back to the manufacturer that's producing a prototype like how did that entire cycle work and how did how did you work it so that it could be done in you know for 13 14 prototypes
1: Ah uh, well, yeah, it was kind of a a case of us, yeah, getting ourselves into a position where we didn't we didn't have to focus on anything else. We didn't, you know, we we weren't trying to do any other jobs by by that point, and and we were flexible in terms of where we could be. You know, we could essentially just camp out by the factory for for as long as it took, which is what we did. Um, and yeah, so it's a case of just, um, yeah, d- devoting all our all our efforts to that. So, um. So taking in the the initial prototype, which we which we had um, had brought in from New Zealand, where we had it made, and then um, yeah, so so already from that first travel, we had a had a bunch of things that we wanted to change for the for the next sample. Um, so yeah, take that out to to our our group of you know kind of trusted feedback peeps and and hear hear everything from them, write it all down, and then we'd kind of. Then we'd lock ourselves away as founders for for a couple of days and like process all that that feedback and and think about okay well you know you, we don't want to end up with the, the Homer Simpson's car so we have to go through the, this each piece of feedback in terms of whether people think we should add something or change something on the bag and and look at it as against like what's our original vis, vision for this product and and would that change be in be in line with that and if so kind of note it down as a thing we wanted to change you know, and, and other things you, you discard, um, and then, yeah, kind of write that all up, um, and communicate that back to the, um, to the manufacturer for, for the next round and mm-hmm. just repeat that for, for months and months and months and months.
0: Do you, do you remember how much time and capital you had to invest, uh, to go through all of these iterations before it was ready for Kickstarter?
1: From that part of it, it was probably, probably a year in, in sample, sample stage, I guess, and, in terms of capital, um, yeah, tens, tens of thousands of at least, probably, yeah, mm, probably a wow. hundred, hundred thousand plus potentially. Wow, um, plus our, our our time I guess as well
0: yeah I mean that's definitely an investment that um, shows you're very committed to it uh, and, and did you ever feel like man we're getting too deep into this like let's just launch with what we have like how did you combat those feelings of um, you know our, we've, already, we've already invested a year of our lives uh, you know $100,000 like, did you ever feel like let's just go with what we have
1: um no I think we're we're both uh Fairly perfectionist in the, in the way we do things, and we, and we know that, you know, we're realistic in the sense that we know that nothing can be absolute. No product can ever be one hundred percent perfect. But there's kind of a, a level that we would be, um, that we were comfortable enough with. Um, and yeah, I think we just we both had a kind of sense that, um, yeah, we were gonna, we were gonna basically. F- Kind of fix um, anything that that our our feedback group were, were talking about it at this point, and because um, we yeah we still had the position to do it. We hadn't yeah we guess we hadn't run out of money at that point, but maybe we weren't too far away from it. Um, mm. That perfectionist thing that is kind of hard. It's it's a good thing to have, but you need it needs to be checked in some way. Like otherwise, you'd never never release anything. But I think I guess we, we feel as though we've we've gotten to a, a, a you know, a good enough point in, in the way we think about these things, like a, a good balance if, if we are looking to be a, a really, really high quality um, product company.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, uh, campaign number two on Kickstarter had a lower goal of only ten thousand dollars, but raised uh, even more money than the first campaign. This one raised over seven hundred thousand dollars from twenty four hundred backers. Uh, so, tell us about your promotion strategy for both of these. Like, did you guys do any pr- preparation to market and promote the campaigns before they started? Like, how do you, how were you able to? You know, hit your goal and then break through is so so successfully for both of these campaigns.
1: Uh, well, for the um, I guess for the first one, I guess we got we got a, a bit of help from from the people that we had involved in the in the process. Um, so it was a lot of their feedback that went into the bag, and you know that that kind of meant that that by the end of that there was a bag that they they really wanted as well. So um, yeah, so and and kind of our. The, the online community that that we're part of, the um the, the DC, the Dynamite Circle, um a lot of guys in there um you know, gave us gave us a lot of help um in, in getting the word out. Um and then for the for the second one, I think well we, we didn't really we were basically um yeah, really focused on product kind of right up until the the time we launched and didn't didn't do so much in the in the promotion side of things. Um, but I guess at that point we, you know, we'd had a lot of, uh, you know, word of mouth marketing over the over the last couple of years and, and a kind of sizable, um, email list by that point that, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was quite different to the way we approached it. And we really didn't, didn't actually do a, do a lot. Um, just kind of, you yeah, dropped it to the lists and, and kind of, I guess, had a few, had a few teaser videos kind of cut out from, yeah, various parts of our, our Kickstarter video, and kind of that was that was it, and it, it yeah started um, started uh, the total um, yeah raised fairly fairly quickly on that mm-hmm. on that second one.
0: Yeah, I can, I can definitely see why a second campaign would be, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't say anything is easy, but at least easier than the first one because you have that uh, PR essentially from the first campaign. You have the email list. You have customers already from that first campaign that you can uh, promote your new one too. Um, so you also, I, I was looking at your, your profile for Kickstarter and you guys have backed 28 campaigns. I think this is the most I've seen for any, any guests on the podcast that's launched on Kickstarter. Uh, 28 campaigns that you guys backed. On Kickstarter, do you? I guess why? Um, why did you feel like you had to back? Not why did you feel like you had to back, but like what made you guys decide to back? You know, twenty eight other Kickstarter
1: campaigns. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that it was that it's even a conscious decision. It's just like we talk about stuff that we that we really love and that we think uh, should exist in the world. And, and yeah, we're always happy to happy to back it. It means that sometimes I'm I'm always carrying. Carrying around a few other like um, Kickstarter products and things that I'm, that I'm testing for, for people and um, yeah, we just just love it as as a way to to bring things into the world that a few years ago um, yeah just may not have made it. It's it's a really cool platform.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a tight-knit community of uh backers out there, so I can uh definitely see why you would want to get involved in that community. Um so one thing that really stood out with your Kickstarter campaigns is the the videos. You know, did, did, did these uh were these produced by in-house or did you guys hire people to help you produce these uh product uh, videos for your Kickstarter campaigns?
1: In-house, uh both of them actually. Um yeah, the the first one was um yeah, kind of. I mean, Jimmy deserves um, most of the credit on, uh, well, the vast majority of the credit on on both of these videos. Um, yeah, he. Um, it was kind of yeah, the, the two of us and and a friend that we, a kind of a photographer friend that we roped in to help us for the for the first one, um, and then uh, the second one. Yeah, kind of a, a similar situation where it was yeah members of our team that 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 helped us um well with with the editing on that one jimmy still wrote all the all the scripts we kind of had a um a game of uh call it like editing game of chicken with the editing where Hmm. he would write you know increasingly ridiculous things in and and wait to see what i would edit out and i i just left it all in there so that's how (laughs) you ended up with that that passage at the at the very beginning of us dancing on the on the beach and um in kind of Peruvian masks. Yeah, I think
0: it was. A, it's, I think it was a very um, hilarious video. Anyone out there is listening should check it out. I think it's uh, definitely caught my attention. Um, so from the from the first first campaign to the second campaign, though, did you learn anything about what works with the video or what works with uh, the landing page for a Kickstarter campaign that you made sure to include in the second campaign?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we didn't didn't change the way we went went about things too too much. Um, I think we feel like it was a yeah it was kind of a um, we had we'd done a lot of research um, for the for the first one so I guess we we felt that most of that could be um, continued on yeah kind of I think we we started uh, with the the cross promotions a little earlier than um, then on on the first one um, that was you know when you've got the opportunity to um, yeah tell tell your backers about about some of the other awesome, um, projects that are happening on Kickstarter at, at the same time, so that that's always good. But yeah, I think I think they were they were fairly fairly similar in, in the way we went about that part of the process for for both campaigns.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about this cross promotion? Is that something that's done while you're running a campaign, or is this after you've uh, are about to launch a campaign? And you you work with other past uh, campaign creators to promote your product. What does the cross promotion mean?
1: Yeah so I guess well it's just um it doesn't it doesn't happen until you have um until you've launched really because then I mean the the kind of only way usually that you would know about these other kickstarter campaigns is because you've both launched um so you know one one will send a message to um to the other and say hey you know we think we're um yeah both both great products that um yeah should be should be helping each other out and um yeah how about we we do a cross promotion and we actually i mean yeah we're we're very particular about that as well so it's actually only a you know a small fraction of people who contact us that that we would um would kind of partner with in, in that way but yeah so when, when we find something we think is, is is really good and there's been a lot of um yeah a lot of thought and, and hard work gone into it from the from the creators then we'll yeah we'll tell our our backers about it as well
0: Mm, very cool. And they, I didn't know that people, uh, there was this kind of pro, uh, process for cross promotion, but I think it's definitely something that other campaign creators should consider exploring because again, the, the backers out there, it's a community of backers. Sometimes they just like backing projects, not necessarily because they are on Kickstarter looking for something specific, but they're looking to just back awesome campaigns. So definitely find ways to get in front of that, 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 that group of uh, folks. Um, yeah. So one thing I noticed in uh, one of the campaigns you guys had run is that it says at the very top that the campaign is over, but the journey is just getting started to stay in the loop, keep in touch below. Then you have uh, basically a a bunch of banners that uh, link to your Instagram, your Facebook, to the actual uh, site to buy uh, right away so basically a bunch of places that they can go to off of the kickstarter page do you guys get a lot of traffic from people checking out uh, a kickstarter campaign that has ended that then comes to your site
1: uh there's a there's a, a reasonable amount i don't i don't think it's um i don't think it would be in our you know top list of list of referrals but um i guess may, maybe and maybe there's more just after the end of the campaign it's just it's really a matter of um you know the the Kickstarter campaign sort of freezes a, as soon as the campaign closes. So it's just, um, yeah, it's just making it easy for anyone who um, who kind of drops on your on your page after that to to find you in your current form. So you know to have a link in there that that you actually still control and and can change as your as your main product page changes later on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that um, Kickstarter itself does have a lot of, you know, essentially, I guess, C- SEO uh, juice. So if you type in the name of your brand uh, or searching for different products, sometimes the Kickstarter campaign is one of the first ones to show up or at least on the first page. So you definitely want to find a way to take that traffic and direct them to, uh, like you're saying, your current form on, on your, your Shopify site or whatever site you're selling your product on. Um, so what what are, what are do you guys have planned for the next year? Like what are some things that uh, the listeners can look out for from you guys?
1: ah well we're um yeah as as always we're <clears throat> very heavily in in product development at the moment so we've got some yeah some some stuff we're we're pretty damn excited about coming out at some point i guess the the thing with us is that we um, you know most of the, pretty much everything we've done has been worked on for you know at least a couple of years um and yeah that that hasn't really changed so it's like when we when we feel that it's that it's truly ready, um, we'll release it. So yeah, we don't um, don't make any make any promises, or, or even that the the products will be released. So yeah, we we keep pretty quiet about what we're what we're doing because yeah, a lot of our the products we've developed in the past, um, yeah, some of them we just we don't think they're they're good enough, and we we don't release them. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: but awesome. yeah, the current batch um, look like they're they're going to be pretty pretty amazing. So.
0: Very cool thanks so much doug so com again is a website M I N A A L lcom dot com Any else you recommend the listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to
1: um no it's 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 very much uh yeah all found through through there that's <clears throat> it's the only place we we sell our our products aside from uh from Kickstarter for the launches it's all um yeah it's all at, at manal.com
0: Awesome. Yeah, if anyone wants to um, made aware, be made aware of any Kickstarter launches, I'm sure you will broadcast that out to your, your email list. So if you want to sign up, I think that's probably the best way to stay in touch with you guys. Yes. Look out um, for any Sorry. upcoming campaigns. All right, cool. Thanks again so much for your time, Doug. Great. Thank you, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.